Tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 5. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5. We're going to talk about two things primarily tonight, work and warfare. There's one paragraph addressing work and then the next is spiritual warfare. We're going to finish up the book of Ephesians. Then next week we're going to start the book of Philippians. We're going through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse so you can read ahead in the book of Philippians. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at work, it's a part of our lives. We wake up every day with things that you've given us to do. We pray that we would adopt a worshipful attitude in our work. We also realize that we're in a spiritual battle. We pray that you would equip us to be able to stand strong in that battle. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here to teach and to lead and to to guide. That you would speak to our hearts. Let's just take a moment to to wait upon the Lord, allow God to speak to our hearts in the midst of a busy day. If you came tonight with just a heavy heart and you're in a season of suffering, would you just raise your hand and leave it up? And I'd like to pray for you. I know there's a lot going on in people's lives and so hands going up all over the sanctuary. If you just came in tonight, your, your heart's broken, there's difficulty in your life, just raise your hand. We'd like to, to pray for you. Father, you, you see these hands that are, that are raised that may represent broken cars, lost jobs, broken relationships, Lord, heaviness, depression. Lord, you know physical ailments and suffering. We just come around our brothers and sisters in Christ and lift them up to you tonight. We pray that you would provide encouragement, strength, hope, that you would bind the enemy and the lies that the enemy would bring against them, that you'd meet needs where there's financial needs, that you would provide that daily bread. So would you minister to, God, would you bring healing, healing to their hearts, healing to their lives and to their bodies. We love you and we thank you. You can put your hands down. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's jump right in tonight and look at verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 6. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So the first word that we see is bondservants there in verse 5. Actually, in the Greek, it means slaves. Some of your translations may translate it as slaves. That's exactly who Paul was addressing. The Roman Empire was thick with slavery. This was an issue inside of the church. You've received Christ as your Savior in the city of Ephesus, this large city. You're a slave. What are you to do? Are you to revolt against your slave master? And so here, Paul is speaking to slaves, and he's saying, slaves... I want you to be obedient to your masters. Does that mean that God is for slavery? Absolutely not. He's not for slavery. It's not God's will. It's not God's intent. But in the midst of this context, what is the bigger issue at hand? It's that people would come to know Christ as their their Savior. And so the testimony of those slaves being able to declare Jesus Christ to their masters. This is a radical teaching if you stop and think about it. So here I am, a slave, and God's not calling me to revolt against my slave master, but to be obedient unto them and to serve the Lord 
in the midst of that context. We apply this to work, and it's a much easier application. Agreed? Because we're not a slave to our work. Sometimes we may feel that way, but our boss doesn't own us. If you need to, you can give your two weeks notice. You can leave that, leave that job. But God is giving an internal perspective to these slaves and saying, I want you to be obedient to your masters. If you're taking notes tonight, which I hope you are, it helps me to remember studies, there's going to be four things on work from our text. And the first thing that we see is that we're to work devotionally. And what do I mean by that? You'll notice in these two verses that I read that at the end of verse 5, it says, as to Christ. We're to do this as to Christ. And then going further, it says, bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God. So it's very clear in the midst of this that our work has an opportunity to be worship unto God. Our work reveals something about our worship. So what is it that God has put into your heart, into your life? It is what you do to earn a paycheck, but it's not just what you do to earn a paycheck. It's whatever your hands find to do. You can do it as unto the Lord. You may be a stay-at-home mom. That's the toughest job on the planet. You don't get vacation days. You don't get time off. There's no 401k benefits. And you can do that work unto the Lord. You can do your yard work unto the Lord. You can do your paid job unto the Lord. You can serve God's people unto him. But it's hard to keep that perspective in the midst of work, isn't it? A lot of times we think our our worship is here as we sing unto the Lord, as we study the word. That our Worship is in our devotional time as we read God's word. But all of that is an equipping to be able to be a witness unto Jesus Christ in our workplace. What an amazing opportunity that God has given you inside of your work to be a testimony of Jesus Christ, wherever that is. If that's in the home, if it's outside the home. Unfortunately, over the ages, we as Christians have developed a bad reputation in our jobs sometimes. I've heard some say, you know, I don't want to hire a Christian because they have a bad work ethic. And that should be the opposite. The best workers should be Christians because we're working unto the Lord. Now, also, we do find this word bondservants of Christ, and that's a slave by choice that comes from the Old Testament. If there was a Hebrew slave, after he had served, then on the seventh year, he had an opportunity to leave his master. But if he found his master to be good and benevolent and kind, he could choose to be a slave by choice. So we're a slave unto Jesus Christ. These slaves that were in the church of Ephesus, ultimately they were bondservants of Jesus Christ. They weren't serving their masters. They weren't serving an ideology. They were serving Christ. They were doing their work unto the Lord. Maybe your work is going to school transformational in the life of a student to realize I'm not just doing my work to try to learn math. I'm not just doing my studies to try to get a great job. My studies is actually worship unto the Lord. So that's the first thing that we see in our work is that it should be unto the Lord. The second thing is in these two verses also, there's two references to the heart. We find in verse five that we're to be obedient in the sincerity of heart. And then in the end of verse six, it says, doing the will of God from the heart. So our service unto the Lord in our work should be wholeheartedly. So not only is it devotionally unto the Lord, but it's wholeheartedly. And notice what we're being called to do. We're being called to follow the boss, to be obedient 
unto the boss. So if your boss is not asking you to do anything that's not biblical, that's not unmoral, that's not unethical, that's not going to land you in jail, even if it might not be the best way, you can go to them humbly and say, could you consider doing it this way? Your job is to follow them. If there's a discussion from the boss that says, I know we've talked about these things, but this is the way I'd like to see things go. You then follow them because you're following Christ. We follow them because we're, we're following Christ. But we do it with our hearts. Remember last week we talked about the parent-child relationship and how toddlers oftentimes maybe have outward obedience, but they don't have inward obedience. All children, all ages can struggle with outward obedience, but not inward obedience. We can struggle with the same thing as adults, right? Okay, I'll do what you say. I hate this boss. He's the worst on the planet. I can't wait till he, he gets fired. That's not having our heart in our work. So it's sincere out of fear to the Lord that we're following them and then we're, we're actually putting our heart in our work. You can tell when there's no heart in work, can't you? Sometimes you maybe you're at a restaurant, you're going through the line at the grocery store, you take your car into the, the mechanic, you go get your taxes done, and the person that is there doing that job, they're completely checked out. And you realize, man, they've lost their heart for, for their job. But then you're at their grocery store, and you get that person that's engaged. And they're doing the groceries, and that'd be a hard job, wouldn't it? I mean, people aren't very pleasant at the grocery store. And this is your job all day long, to scan all these, these items. And, you, and they're engaged. And they look you in the eye, and they say, how's your day today? Isn't it a beautiful day outside? And you look at them like, you're from another planet. Like, because their heart is in their work. And whatever work that we have, it doesn't matter what the task is, whether we think it's worthy or we think it's menial, we can put our heart into it. If we're working in our yard, why not put our heart into it and make it the best that we can, not so that we have a better looking grass than the Joneses down the street, but God made green and he makes grass grow. So let's do it under the glory of God. Drive a school bus. Do it under the glory of God. Put, put your heart into it. Care for the kids. We want our world to change, don't we? We want people to know Christ. We want heaven to be populated and hell to be empty. Amen? So how does that happen? It's having your heart in your work. It's showing Christ through your actions and your work and giving that opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ. I know it's not always easy. Jobs aren't always fun. It wasn't easy for these slaves. It's not easy for us at times as well. So we go on into verse 7. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Focus on with goodwill, doing service. Third thing our work should be is it should be done peaceably. That's what goodwill and service means. Goodwill is peaceably. So this is the attitude in which I go into my, heart, into my work. I'm going in with this sense of goodwill. I'm going in with this sense of a peace about me, with a desire to, to make peace, to live in peace. The best work is done inside of teams, isn't it? And so in order for that to take place, I've got to be a team player. I've got to be peaceable. I've got to listen to other people's input, be willing to follow the boss, be, be part of something that's bigger than myself. It's that attitude of peace. It's that attitude of, of goodwill. 
If you were to ask your coworkers, your spouse, a best friend, to describe your attitude towards your job, would they say it's one of peace? That it's one of joyful service unto the Lord, or it's I O I O, so off to work I go. I'm counting the days to retirement, and I'm only 35, you may say. That's a long ways to go, isn't it? If that day, day will ever come. And it's a flip of attitude. It's a flip in the change in our our mindset. Verse 8 is a great reward. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So it's very clear whether you're slave or free. Both contexts are being applied. Whether you have a job that you like or a job that you hate, whether you've got a good boss or a bad boss, if you do your work under the Lord, God's going to reward you. Here's the fourth thing. Eternally, we need to do our work with an eternal perspective. God's reward may not come in this life. This doesn't mean if you work hard to the Lord that you're guaranteed a promotion, that everyone's always going to appreciate your work, that you're going to make more money. Sometimes God blesses in this life. Sometimes he chooses to allow us to go through trial. But when you get to heaven, he's not going to be unjust to forget your labor of love. He sees what you do. He sees the smallest task of giving a child cold water in the name of Jesus. He tells us that he's going to reward openly for that kind of work. So whatever you're doing, if you're doing it under the Lord... Think about an eternity to hear the words of Christ. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I saw that you labored faithfully under the Lord. Let's look at verse 9. It's directed towards the masters. It's directed towards the bosses. And you masters do the same thing to them. So everything that we just read, it applies to the boss as well. If you are in a position of authority, you're an overseer of others, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master is also in heaven. The greatest leaders are the best servants. Servants of God. They're doing it unto the Lord. If you have authority, you're going to be accountable to the Lord for how you use that authority. Treat people in a way that honors God. Treat people in a way that you would want to be treated. And it says to give up threatening. There's no need to threaten. If consequences need to be given, give consequences. If reward needs to be given, give reward, but don't lead through threatening, and then also don't lead through partiality. Have a standard that applies equally across the board. Before we go on to verse 10 through 20, I want to share my heart with you on this, is I think that the church, over time, somehow has lost the message of the value of work. That we think in order for our lives to make a difference for Christ, you can't have what we would call a normal job. Meaning that it seems secular. Like you, you go and you work with numbers all day. So you can't have impact for the kingdom in the midst of that. Or you're a dentist or a hygienist or a mechanic or you, you fill in the blank. And in order for your life to then have great kingdom impact, you need to get out of that vocation and get into something more spiritual, like being on staff at a church or working at a nonprofit or going on the mission field. Now, there's nothing wrong with going on the mission field if the Lord's leading 
and the Spirit's doing that, or going on staff at a church, or working at a nonprofit. But you know what? This is the reality of what the Scripture tells us, is we're all in the ministry, the mission field's all around us, and we've got to realize as a church that we're living in a missions context. If we look at our neighborhoods and we see it through the eyes of the Spirit, there are deep cracks in our neighborhoods. There is deep spiritual need in our workplaces. And if everybody leaves, if everybody works at a church, and everybody works at a nonprofit, where's the witness of Jesus Christ in Colorado Springs? I guarantee you there are people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, that have never accurately heard the gospel in the United States of America. Now, I am all for missions, and I know God's calling some of you to missions, but us here, we need to think like missionaries. Let's say, for instance, God did call us to another country, and we planted in that country. What would we think of as first thing when we stepped into that neighborhood? How do I build relationships to win people for the kingdom? If we had a job in that country— As a missionary, what would we be thinking as we did that job? We'd be thinking, how does this job give me an opportunity to get into the lives of people so that I can share the gospel with them? I'm so excited about all the places that God has you placed, that he's got you planted, that he's got you rooted in. It's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And then not just our church, but all the churches inside of Colorado Springs. So Maybe ask the Lord to give you a fresh perspective on your work. And then if you are a pastor, a leader, a missionary working in a nonprofit, I know from personal experience, we're just as susceptible to adopting a bad attitude in the midst of working in what we would continue, consider to be a spiritual place. It's easy to lose heart even in the midst of something that you know that God has called you to. So either way, there's a great challenge for us. Let's move on to warfare. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is the third division to the book of Ephesians. The first was to sit, that you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies by the grace of God. Then it was walk, chapter 4, verse 1. Walk worthy of your calling. Now we end the book of Ephesians with this call from God to stand. He wants us to stand against the schemes of the evil one, and he's going to show us how to be able to do that. So under this division of warfare, there's three categories, and the first is the call. Think of a general calling his soldiers into battle. And this is what the Lord says to us, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. In order to stand strong spiritually against Satan, it has to be in his power and in his might. Amen? Agreed? How many times do we try to fight the enemy in our own strength? And God's saying, it's in my power. It's in my might. It's in my spiritual weapons that I've provided to you. So this is a challenge. It's a challenge to us. Don't try to do it in your own strength. But it's also an invitation. God's saying, I've got the power to enable you to stand against the enemy. And his power is more than enough. His power is sufficient. You read throughout scripture and you come to understand that Christ has defeated Satan. At the resurrection of Christ, Satan was defeated. 
He has the power. We can't even begin to verbally put into description all the power that God has, and he's willing to give it on our behalf. Then we're also in this call told to put on the whole armor of God, and we'll look at each each piece of the armor of God. This is practically what God is giving to us and his power to cause us to be able to stand. That's the mission. God wants us to stand. I want you to hear that tonight before we move on. When it comes to the attack of Satan, God does not want us turning and running away. In the book of James, it says, submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. So you know the enemy's attacking your life. The Lord's attacking your family. The enemy's attacking our church, our community. What do we do? We stand. We don't, res- we don't turn and run away. And as we stand in the power of God's might, then the enemy will flee from us. This word, wiles of the devil, it means schemes. What are the schemes of Satan? How does he try to destroy our lives? We look at some of the titles that God gives to Satan. He's called the father of lies in scripture. So he's going to try to derail us through lies. He loves to take a little bit of truth, mix it with lies, We swallow those lies, we're off track. We also know that Satan's called the accuser of the brethren, which means he's going to constantly come to us and say, you know, God really hasn't forgiven you. You're not really the child of God. If you really loved Christ, you, you wouldn't act that way. If he can't get you to believe that about yourself, then he wants you to look at other brothers and sisters in Christ and say, no one really likes you around here. No one loves you. You don't belong here. You know, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Why would you even come to church? He's the father of lies. We also know in scripture that he's the angel of light. So he puts this nice sugar-coated candy on top of his lies. It's very palatable. It looks good. It's spiritual. Satan doesn't show up in our lives in red pajamas with horns and a pitchfork saying, I'm here to steal, to kill, and destroy. Let me into your life. He comes as an angel of light. What are the tools that he uses? And we know this from scripture. It's three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's how he tempted Eve. It's how he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. It's how he'll tempt us as well. He'll say, oh, the lust of the eyes. This looks really good. The lust of the flesh. This is gonna make you feel good. Oh, the pride of life. People are going to finally respect you if you only do this and you act this way. But God tells us that we can stand against his temptation. We look in verse 12 and we've seen the call. God's calling us to stand in the power of his might. And here's the war in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Is there division in your marriage? It's not, first and foremost, a battle between you and your spouse. You say, oh, I know it's a battle between me and my spouse. Here's all the the reasons. Is there division in the family? It's ultimately attack of Satan. It's not just a battle between flesh and blood. Is there a division between churches? One, One church on this side of town and another church on that side of town? Is there a church split inside of one church family? Well, that's Satan. It's a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. 
I've got to be honest with you on this. I'm slow to wake up to this in my life. Things will be going on, and I'm thinking purely in the physical. I'm just going, there's got to be a solution for this. My dad was an engineer. He's retired now, and he taught us to think logically. You, you think your way through things, and there's got to be a right answer, and I'm thankful for that. It's very valuable. And that's where my mind goes when there's difficulty. I'm, I'm looking for the missing piece. And I'm slow to wake up to the reality that there is a spiritual battle in the midst of this, that I've got to look at this through the spiritual weapons and the spiritual lens that God's provided. If God could allow us to see into the spiritual realm that's described here in verse 12, what would we see? What would we see in our community? What would we see in our neighborhoods? What would we see here even on this corner, on Austin Bluffs and Academy? There's a real spiritual battle. There's a real devil who wants to destroy. The spiritual hosts are described here, which are his demons. And God is greater than all of this, but he wants us to realize hey, there is a war that's happening, and it's a spiritual one. So if we're only fighting in the physical, we're fighting the wrong battle. And then we get to the armor, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this evening. Therefore, in light of the war, in light of the battle, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So God's telling us, put on the armor. And what does he mean by that? Is he saying, you take it up and you use it. I hope this will make sense and be practical. You know, because a lot of times we hear about putting on the armor of God and it's this idea of, well, it's something that I put off, it's something I put on and every morning I'm going to pray and put on all of the armor of God. Nothing wrong with that, but I want you to think about it this way. Like your keys, your cell phone, and your wallet. Those things are essential in our world, aren't they? And you know them and you know how to use them well. You know how to use your phone. I bet that you have some features on your phone where maybe you've downloaded some apps. You can even possibly check your bank account. I've got an app on my phone where I can text and call Kent in Uganda for free. I know it. I know it well. I've got a Bible on my phone. I, I can search things, study things. I've got my whole library that I've kept for years up in my office. Now it's electronically and it's on my phone. I can sit in an office and read my my favorite commentary. I know my phone. You know your phone. And then there's my wallet. I need my wallet. There's some days where I leave my wallet at home or I leave my wallet at the office or I don't know where I left my wallet. (laughs) And what happens if I forget my phone, forget my wallet, forget my keys, what do we do? We say, not only do I know it, but I need it, and I got to go get it. And that's the idea with the armor of God. Everything that we're going to read about the armor of God, every single day, more than once, you're going to need it. You're going to need truth, so don't leave home without it. You're going to need faith, so don't leave home without it. That's the idea. Know it well, Know where it is, know how to use it, and make sure that it's accessible to you to get it and to be able to use it. That's the message that's being given to us. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Where's Paul when he's writing 
this letter. He's in prison to who? To the Romans. He's got a lot of time on his hands. He's looking at all of these Roman soldiers in their armor, and he's making a spiritual application. They've got belts. In your mind, think of a picture of a Roman soldier with his armor. How important was the belt? All of the armor hinged upon the belt. If you talk to a police officer in their uniform and you look closely, the physical foundation is their belt. And when it comes to our armor, our belt is truth. The truth of God's word. That is what is going to be your strength in the midst of the battle. You've got to know truth. Got to be in the word of God. If you're in the word of God, praise the Lord. In the morning or in the evening, possibly both, but you're, you're reading through the Bible, reading through the New Testament, studying the scriptures. If you've lost that habit, get back to it. If you've never developed it, start with the book of Mark. Ask the Spirit would teach you. Come with a pen and an underline things in the scripture, because that's the foundation. It's truth. It's walking in the truth of scripture. And the next thing that we see is the breastplate of righteousness. What does the breastplate do for the Roman soldier? Protects the heart from a sword, spear, and arrow. And it's the breastplate of Christ's righteousness that protects us from the attack of the enemy. And if the enemy can get your heart, he's got everything. If doubt, if fear, discontentment, if it can get in the heart. And so what we need to remember as we're walking through this life, I'm robed in Christ's righteousness. I need to make sure that I know where Christ's righteousness is and how that applies to me. That he's covered me in his righteousness. I want to now walk in his righteousness and that's going to be a very practical protection to our heart. A modern application for us is our police officers, they're bulletproof vests. Same purpose, same, same intent, and Christ's righteousness provides that protection. In verse 15, in having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Romans, in expanding their empire, did a great job of developing the armor, including the shoes. And historians have studied the shoes, and we look at them, and they seem just like sandals, but if you look closely, at the bottom... They equipped them with nails, which was traction. So they had all this metal, and it was this pattern that would be inside. And then there would either be laces over the foot or sometimes a full leather covering, some like a boot coming up over the calf. And historians tell us this really added to their ability to travel more quickly over tougher terrain that gave them a greater ability to defeat their enemies. Sometimes they would even come back from the battle and take a print of their sandal and stomp it so that all would know that they were victorious. And God has given us the gospel of peace for us. And notice if you look in your Bible that it says, for the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we're preparing to share. Say that with me. Prepare to share. Prepare to share. We're living our lives saying, wherever God takes me today, I want to share the gospel of peace with others. It gives a great way to share Jesus. Talking with folks and saying, man, I'm just having a tough day. I'm really stressed out. Man, I understand. I relate. But you know, I've got a lot of peace in my life. Why is that? Well, because I know no matter what happens in the elections, Jesus reigns. I know I'm going to heaven. 
My 401k plan has never been better. Just keeps going up and up and up and up. Because in heaven, the streets are paved with gold, right? The stock market doesn't affect heaven. And you start to begin to explain the peace that you have, the forgiveness that you enjoy. Every step that you take in life, there's that peace that I'm one step closer to heaven. This will change how we live our lives and how we engage in the spiritual battle to say, every step I take, I want it to be one of the testimony of the gospel. And that takes preparation. Just like my phone, just like my wallet. Okay, I know where it is. I know how to use it. I know where the gospel is. I know what the gospel means, and I'm ready to share it. I'm looking for opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ with others. That's, that's challenging for me. Verse 16, above all, so a statement of emphasis. This is of absolute importance. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield for the Roman soldier was about two and a half feet wide and four feet long. This giant rectangle made out of wood, covered with leather and canvas for the purpose of when the enemy would fire an arrow, that it could withstand an arrow coming into their shield. It was a big part of their battle. 22 pounds was the average weight. Can you imagine? They would carry it with one arm and run into battle. When they were being fired at, front on, they'd put it like this. If the arrow was coming over their head, like this. Oftentimes you'd see them linking their shields together to provide a fortress. And this is when the Satan's really throwing those fiery darts at you. What may those fiery darts look like? Oh, this financial challenge, it's going to sink you. There's no way out. You're never going to make your rent. You're never going to make your mortgage. You're never going to find another job. That's a fiery dart of doubt from the enemy. And how do you respond? By faith. God, I know you're good. I know your character. I'm standing on your promises in the midst of this. Here's this tremendous temptation that God has allowed you to go through. Satan is tempting you. And then what do you do? You have faith. Trust God. You have provided a way of escape. I know you've said that in your word. And and you begin to hold on to who God is and what you know he said in his word. And then notice what it says. It will quench every fiery dart from the enemy. I bet if we stop and think the enemy's shooting darts at us that we don't even realize. Because we're slow to come to the reality that we're in this battle. We're going to war. We don't even have any of our armor. We're in battle. We don't have our shield up. And here's Satan. He's just throwing things into our minds. We're buying it hook, line, and sinker. He's the father of lies. Here's another lie. Here's another lie. Here's another lie. Shooting into our homes. So we need to make sure, above all, take the the shield of faith. In verse 17, I love this, in the helmet of salvation. So you think of that Roman soldier with that helmet of salvation. So as we go through our life, the battle a lot of times is in our minds. It's won and lost in our, in our minds. So every thought, we go, I'm saved. I'm saved. I've received salvation, the helmet of salvation. And that begins to dominate our thoughts and our, in our lives. The offensive weapon that we're given and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. In the Greek, the word for sword, it speaks of a smaller sword instead of a larger sword. And we know the difference between a a dagger, close hand-to-hand combat, and the larger swords. And also it says, which is the word of God, and the Greek word is rhema for word, which means an exacting word, an utterance. So the message here is that God has given us his full counsel, which is referred to as the Logos. This is the full counsel of God's word. But here what's being referred to is a particular part of the word that applies to the struggle that I'm going through. And that's what I'm going to use to combat the enemy. So hopefully this makes sense when Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, taken out into the wilderness, fasted for 40 days, Satan knows he's vulnerable and comes to him. How did Jesus respond to that temptation? Every time he quoted the word, and he quoted just small sections of scripture, man shall not live by bread alone. That's exactly what Ephesians is talking about. So I'm struggling with my temper, with my anger. I don't necessarily need to quote the whole book of James in the midst of that temptation of anger. But you know what might be really helpful? Be quick to hear, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Just that simple phrase, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And you know what? That's the sword of the Spirit in the midst of that battle. And so you get into God's word, you memorize it, so that it's there in the midst of when you need it. Sometimes, God's word being this close is not close enough. I need God's word in my heart. So in those moments, I can use it in the spiritual battle. Psalms 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Church, this is the reality of the battle, is getting into God's word, memorizing the scripture, using it in the moment of temptation. Jesus said the word of God out loud, and you say it out loud. There's power in the word of God. And in that moment, you also run to Jesus Christ. You're running to the living word as you're holding on to the written word. We go on to verse 18. It's the last weapon. Don't leave it out. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we're praying We're also praying with supplication, which means with desperation and diligence in the Spirit as the Spirit of God leads us. We're being watchful. And then notice at the end of verse 18, it says, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So in entering into this spiritual battle, I'm lifting up my own temptation, my own struggle, but I'm also battling for my family. The perseverance of the saints aware of where my family's struggling, where the enemy's attacking, lifting them up in prayer, praying for the church family here, Rocky Mountain Calvary, other churches in the city, throughout the country, saying, God, would would you just work at Vanguard Church? Would you work at Discovery Church, at New Life Church? Calvary Chapel Gulu, Calvary Chapel Chihuahua. It's the the perseverance for all the saints. We're entering into that battle in prayer. And prayer, to me, is the fuel that makes the armor of God work. So you think about the gasoline in your engine, the oil in your engine. It's what causes the car to work. And prayer is really what causes us to utilize these 
things that Christ has given to us. Now, before we finish the book, when we think about all of the armor that we just read, every one of them is an attribute of Jesus. He's truth. He's righteousness. He's the word. You can go through and look at each piece of the armor and see Jesus. And so we're putting on Jesus Christ. We're holding to Jesus Christ. Verse 19 and 20 are really powerful. And for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. If I were Paul and I was in prison, I'd say, guys, now that we're talking about prayer, could you just pray that there'd be a jailbreak? I've experienced that before, Paul being the one experiencing the jailbreak. It'd be great if that happened again. But he doesn't pray to get out of jail. He says, you know, would you pray that I could speak boldly the mystery of the gospel? He's in prison for the gospel. It'd be tempting to say, well, I'm just going to back off on proclaiming the gospel because it may mean my life. He's wrestling with that. So he's saying, could you please pray for me? Maybe there's a situation or circumstance in your life where you've been praying, God, just get me out. Get me out of the job. Get me out of the neighborhood. Get me out of the difficulty. And God wants us to change our tune and say, Lord, would you give me boldness to be able to speak the gospel? I think we could all use prayer for this. I know I could use prayer for this, to pray for one another. God, as we go through our lives, would you give us boldness to speak the mystery of the gospel? that Christ died for our sins and he rose again according to the scriptures. So we finish the book. Verse 21. But that you may know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I've sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So Tychicus is going to go visit the church of Ephesus and give them a more personal update of how Paul's doing. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So God grant you peace. God grant you love with faith from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Where did Paul begin? Grace. The first three chapters. What God's done in our lives through Christ of being positioned in Christ. And now he ends with grace as well. Grace isn't just the beginning point. It's the ending point and every point in between. So as we leave the book of Ephesians, three words. You got them? Sit, walk, stand. You know the grace of God. You experience the grace of God. It's a part of your life. You're breathing it in. And then you begin to walk growing, maturing. And then lastly, what we see tonight, to be able to stand. So I've got two questions for us as we close. And the first is this, is what does my work reveal about my worship? What does my work reveal about my worship? Would people know that Christ is my Savior by the way that I work? Am I doing it in sincerity? Am I doing it unto the Lord? Wrestle with that and spend time with the Lord in that. Lord, I want to work unto you. And then the second is, am, am I standing against the enemy? Am I standing against the enemy? It may be that we're not experiencing any spiritual warfare in our lives because we're not standing. 
There's no resistance. The enemy can just move on to someone else because they're not fighting back. They're a believer, they're a Christian, but they're not worried about people getting saved. They're not praying for others. They're complacent. They're just going through their Christian life. They're, they're not a concern to Satan in his camp. He doesn't have to attack. So I'm in that, am I in that place of, of standing? Am I in that place of using the armor of God? Let's stand together, let's pray, and ask that God would bring application. Father, thank you for the challenge in these sections of Scripture. I know that I'm, I'm challenged as I read them and share about them tonight. Lord, we confess to you a lot of times just having the wrong attitude towards work. All we see is the tasks. All we see is others. We become men-pleasers instead of God-pleasers. God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, change our perspective God, I pray for those that just feel like their job has no meaning. They don't see the eternal impact. God, would you give us eyes to see? Would we see our neighborhoods differently? Would we see our workplace differently? Would we see the opportunity to share the gospel and encourage believers? God, we pray that we would be more familiar with the armor of God than we would be our cell phones and our wallets and our keys that if for some reason we've lost sight of the armor of God, that we would go back and pick it up and begin to stand. So Lord, where the enemy's attacking, would you help us to be able to see it? Would you help us to be able to use your armor effectively? In Jesus' name, amen.